Hi, Pastor Mike Fabares here. In August 2024, you're invited to join me on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. Delve into God's Word while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Today on Focal Point, a word of caution from Pastor Mike Fabares. God is always at work. And maybe he's at work with your boss that you envy so much. Maybe he's at work being kind to that person. Maybe that's part of what God will use to bring him to repentance. And I'm going to begrudge God and his methods here with this guy, if perhaps he's in the category of someone who's being prepared for eternal life. And I'm going to say, God, I don't like the way you're preparing him because I, I would like all the stuff he's got. you see people with big bank accounts, influential jobs, and luxurious lives, you don't often hear them thanking God for all that good stuff. So why do people who reject God seem to have more blessings than those who profess Christ? On the surface, it doesn't make sense. Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares cautions Christians against second-guessing or begrudging God's generosity. I'm your host, Dave Drury. And now let's turn to Psalm 73 for the conclusion of a message called Getting Serious About the Counterattack. I need to turn you to Psalm 73 and help guard you from a problem that we will all have, even if you know the truth and the Spirit of God does reside in you. You have to make sure that the Spirit of God has His way in keeping your focus where it needs to be. This Psalm is all about envy, and I want to read it to you. Psalm 73. Let's start here in verse 1. You can see in the superscription, this is a psalm of Asaph, and it starts with a declaration that I hope everyone in the room should agree with theologically. God is good to Israel. In that case, that's the context of the Old Testament in the 9th century BC. In our case, we'd say God is good to his people, right? Of course, to those who are pure in heart, the people that he's forgiven, those who are right before God, those that are walking in step with the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, God is good to those people. Now, that would be a great short little psalm, be the shortest psalm in the Bible if that's where it ended, but it doesn't end there because this is about envy. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I almost fell flat on my spiritual face. Why? Because I was envious. I was envious. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant. Of the arrogant? Yeah, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked we got to deal with this, and I touched on it briefly last time, but there is a lot of us in this room tempted this week to envy the arrogant, the wicked. Why? Well, it's a long poetic list here, starting in verse number four, about how good they have it. Asaph says, verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked, I was, I was, it was like I was penetrated by a knife blade in my heart. By the way, you want a good definition of what envy looks like? That's it, embittered heart a heart that's, that's wounded. What did I act like when I thought the way I was thinking there in verses 1 through 15? Well, you were thinking like a brute, like a knuckle-dragging fool. You were ignorant. You weren't thinking of the big picture. 
he says to God, I was like a beast before you, like, like an animal, just instinctive. I, I looked around and if it looked like I should sniff it or eat it. I did it. I just, I wasn't even thinking straight. I wasn't thinking about the future. Like your dog, you go to him, your dog, your dog's not thinking about retirement. Your dog's just, he's living in retirement, perpetual retirement. He's just doing whatever he wants. He doesn't think about any of that. He doesn't contemplate. He doesn't plan. And that's the point. Christian life that's short-sighted, it's foolish, it's brutish, it's ignorant, it's, it's like a dog. Nevertheless, when I think about it now, without ignorance, without dragging my knuckles around as a fool, I recognize what I have that they don't have. I don't have the riches, I don't have the applause, I don't have people patting me on the back, I don't have microphones shoved in my face, I don't have kids running up to get my autograph, I don't have any of the things they have. I don't have the cars parked in the driveway that they have, I don't have all the stuff that they have and that I've been so envious of, but I have you, I'm continually with you, and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, if I want to think about the big picture, you receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? I mean, you want the prize of everything? It's meeting my maker. It's being in sync with my creator. There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Well, I've been desiring a lot of things. I've been desiring and coveting what my neighbor has, my neighbor's wife, my neighbor's house, my neighbor's stuff. Ridiculous. What I need to desire is the one that matters. And here's Asaph coming to that realization my flesh and my heart may fail. I may live with deprivation between now and the time of my death, but God is the strength of my heart and is my portion, my inheritance. He's all that I need forever. For behold, those who are far from you, now I got to remember this, for all those that I was envying, they shall perish. You put an end to everyone who was unfaithful to you, but for me, it is good to be near God. I made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Number two in your alley, you need to guard yourself from short-sightedness. You need to guard yourself from the kind of temporal short-sightedness that says, if the bad guys seem to be winning, I don't know why I'm trying to be a good guy. I don't know why I'm saying no to sin and putting to death the deeds of the flesh. I don't get why I would live by this standard if it's not paying off now. Well, then you're not seeing the things you should see. Here's a good passage for you. Isaiah chapter 11. The prophet looked forward as God's spirit gave him utterance and said, there's coming a branch from the root of Jesse. And that king is going to come. And he's going to be a signal to the peoples. I mean, that's a great prophecy there in Isaiah 11. But in verse number three, he says, to get to the bottom of the verse, he says, he's not going to judge by what his eye sees. He's not going to judge by what his ear hears. Verse three starts with this way. He's going to judge and value the fear of the Lord. The God you can't see, the invisible God that dwells in unapproachable light, the God you cannot see, that can't be seen, has never been seen, the God that you're one day going to face at the judgment. That's the God that the Messiah is going to care about. You're going to see everything in light of that. Remember I quoted that little verse that seemed out of place in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 last week? In the middle of that passage with all those, those headliner verses, there was that one verse that we no longer consider anyone according to the flesh. Even though we saw Christ according to the flesh at one time. Even though we considered where he was from and what kind of degrees did he have and he's from Galilee and what's his accent look like and I looked at the kinds of things he had and I made a judgment based on external things. I judged based on appearances. But I don't judge anyone that way anymore. I don't think your life is good because you're blessed and your life is cursed because things are going wrong. I don't think that way. That's a great passage and it's helpful for our envy because when you see people you're tempted to envy at work, the boss, the manager, someone in your neighborhood that's got everything going his way, you got to stop with all that because that's short-sightedness. That's looking at things and judging based on the exterior. Let me blow your mind on this. You ready? Envy, I said last week, and maybe it was helpful. A few of you said it was. 
is not just between me and you. I'm not just looking at you going, you got blessings and advantages I don't have, and I don't have those. Remember the foundational illustration that we started this series with is Jesus paying those workers. And some had only worked an hour and some had worked all day. And the guys that worked all day looked at the guys that worked an hour and got the same amount of pay, and they were envious. And the master says, he says, I don't get it. Here's the line. Do you begrudge me for my generosity? In the literal translation, is your eye bad because I'm generous? In other words, you are looking at them askew. You are looking at them. That's where we get the word envy from, right? We're looking at them. We're staring at these people. We're looking at them. Why do they get that? And I don't get that. But really, we're begrudging God's generosity. And when you look in a small group and you say, well, I'm really looking at that guy's life, or you're scrolling through social media and you're looking at that gal's life and you're saying, well, I really wish I had her life. It's not just you have a problem between you and her. You have a problem, we said last week, between you and God, because God gave her all of that. Even though it's an airbrushed highlight reel on social media, I realize that. But even what you think she has, if whatever she does actually have, you are envious of, you really have a problem with God's generosity because God has blessed her with those things. And God has blessed your boss with that Ferrari or that red Porsche or whatever he drives. Really? Yeah. Here's how it's put on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. God lets his rains come on the crops of the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, the good of the rain and the good of the sun upon the fields of the non-Christian, of the wicked and unrighteous person, is a gift from God. It sounds like James chapter 1, every good and perfect gift comes from God. So God is giving even the non-Christian these things. Well, wait a minute. You mean the arrogant and the wicked get all this prosperity and all this food and all this stuff and all this accolade? All that comes from God? Yeah, and I would say this. The same equation works. If you are envious of the wicked you still have a problem begrudging God's generosity. Well, why would God be generous to the wicked? That's a good question. And he didn't have to explain himself to you. That's for sure. But there are a few clues in the Bible. How about a couple? Here's one. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And maybe there's a little bit in your testimony that looks like this. That God uses kindness and generosity to lead people to repentance. God is always at work. And maybe he's at work with your boss that you envy so much. Maybe he's at work being kind to that person. Maybe that's part of what God will use to bring him to repentance. And I'm going to begrudge God and his methods here with this guy, if perhaps he's in the category of someone who's being prepared for eternal life. And I'm going to say, God, I don't like the way you're preparing him because I, I would like all the stuff he's got. You still got a problem with God. Envy is always a problem for Christians between you and God. It just happens that you're looking at people. Even the wicked, all of the things that they have that I get really are not bad things, right? Accolades and money and wealth and beauty. All those things are good. They're good things. And in the end, in the kingdom, the kingdom is going to be full of those things. But you're envying those things because you have a proper sense of justice and you think it's unjust because they're shining God on and they still have all that. And I'm just saying, well, maybe God's working a deal here. Maybe God is doing maybe what he did in your life. Did you have any blessings when you were shining God on? Did you? I bet you did. Maybe God was using that kindness, as it says in Romans 2.4, to lead you to repent. Or how about the Ecclesiastes principle? Maybe Solomon, who talks of all the things that he had, and he comes to the end of his life, and he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And he gets to chapter 12, and he says in that book, listen, I realize this. After experiencing all those blessings, none of them satisfied. To echo Augustine again, none of them made my heart feel at rest. 
My heart was restless. I need to find rest in Ecclesiastes 12. Here's the matter. Here's the end of the, of the whole deal. And that is to fear God and keep his commandments. So maybe all that blessing in that person that you know is, is a despised, wicked, evil, arrogant person. And I'm thinking, God, why would you bless them? Maybe, maybe God's working something in his life to get to the place of Solomon saying, I had all these things and none of them fulfilled me. Maybe. And you need to stop begrudging God in his methods that include generosity toward the wicked. This one will be harder for you. But maybe as Jesus said, maybe they're just filling up their transgressions for the judgment. Paul says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians. They're filling up their sins until the day of God's wrath. It said it back in Genesis, right? The Amorites, I'm not done with the Amorites yet. The reason the Amorites are still prospering, God said, is because the Amorites have not filled up their transgressions yet. The book of Revelation ends that way. Let the wicked continue to be wicked because they're building up a whole resume for judgment. As a matter of fact, you want to put that in close proximity to Romans chapter 2, verse 4? Well, then jot down Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Because it says in verse 5, that the stubborn and unrepentant heart, it stores up for itself wrath for the day of God's judgment. So maybe God's just working out his plan. And part of his plan is he's going to be glorified in the judgment of the wicked. And the judgment of the wicked is not full until all of their sins are complete. And maybe their sins of ingratitude, of taking all the blessings of the world and not giving thanks to God for them, is a sin that God is getting them to fulfill. Now they're going to do it by their own stubborn hearts. God is not culpable for their sin. They're culpable for their own sin, but maybe this is part of God's plan to let the Amorites fill up their transgressions. And when I think about them slipping into terror, when they're despised as phantoms, and God now is brought into crystal clarity when they thought God was a joke, I don't even want to think about that. So even God's at work. Maybe God's just showing his uh, tremendous patience and his mercy. I mean, talk about uh, bad theology, right? Uh, best, your best life now, right? You've heard of that. Do you understand that every non-Christian that you envy and you think how unjust that they get that, that's, the, that's all they're going to get. I mean, I know you want to say it in a snarky way, but, you know, enjoy it now because it's going to end, and when it ends, it's going to be really bad for you. But in a way, I think it is your best life now. I mean, it, it is. It's God's mercy and patience to you. It's the common grace of God. And even in that, do you despise God for his generosity and his common grace and showing mercy to non-Christians before they get cast into outer darkness? I'm not going to begrudge God for that. God is a God who is merciful. It's like the building of the ark. Second Peter talks about this. When God was patient in the days of Noah. It's just like all those people. There was, God was working a plan over here with the righteous and the non-Christians got to experience all this stuff. They got to continue in their revelry and their partying and their marrying and giving in marriage. And God gave them all of that. Well, he worked the plan over here and all that was just part of God's plan and being patient. I'm not going to begrudge God for what he's doing with non-Christians. And I'm certainly not going to learn to envy them because I got to have a bigger view on all this. God's doing things in their life and God's doing things in my life. And I should be content with what I have. So guard myself from short-sightedness. The big picture solves all of this. Psalm 73 couldn't be clear. Here's one thing I'd like to show you how to maintain this. Can I go back to Psalm 73, verse 17 real quick? Until I entered the sanctuary of God, until I went into the sanctuary of God. If you want to build this long-sighted perspective, you want to guard yourself against short-sighted, you need to go to church. You need to be among the people of God. This is what was called the, uh, the throng of God, the crowds, the multitudes in the temple. Those of you listening online, haven't been to church in a long time, talking to you. Right? You need to go to church. I live in Nebraska and there's no churches here. Find the best Bible teaching church you can find within reasonable driving distance and go there. Go there all the time. Go there all, every time it's open. 
And if you're a part of this church and you're not coming here, oh, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Come enjoy the danger with us. Right? <laughs> Risk your lives with us. Right? You need to be here. Why? Because it'll keep you from short-sightedness. Easy for you to click that live stream off and be done. And like, listen, you need to be with the people of God. The other thing you need, it's found there in verse 24. You guide me with your counsel. There's a book sitting on your shelf, God's divine library. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces through the thoughts and intentions of your heart. It's a mirror that shows you your sin. It gives you an eternal perspective because it's written by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit that lives within you needs you to look at the book he wrote. You need the Bible. He guides us by his counsel. His counsel is embedded and encoded, inscripturated in this thing we call the text of the Bible. You need to be in it every single day. You ought to crave it like newborn babies crave milk. You've got to crave this. And you've got to make it a, a habit. You need church. You need the Bible. How about verse 28? As for me, it's good to be near God. How do we draw near to God? In the scripture, I think if you were to take that concept, I want to be close to God. I'm drawing near to God. You are pouring your hearts out. To quote another psalm, pour your hearts out to God. It's called prayer. You need prayer. You need more prayer. Starting to sound like your grandpa's church now, right? You need to go to church, you need more Bible, you need more prayer. You do need that. If you're going to keep a long view on things so that you don't envy the wicked, you need those things. And there's one more, bottom of verse 28, that I may declare all your works. Some of you never talk to other people about Christianity. Never talk to other people about God. How about we add the fourth one, evangelism? I guarantee you, if you're not in the church, in the word, in prayer, and talking to other people about the greatness of God, you are going to fall victim to myopic thinking. You're going to have a short-sighted view on things. You're going to judge, contra Isaiah 11, verse 3, on what you see and what you hear. You need to judge things on the fear of God, which there's a ton of here in the end of Psalm 73. Adjust your spiritual vision. Some great tools there. Grandpa's church was right. These are the staples of the Christian life, and we need them. Let me wrap it up, this series and this sermon in Romans chapter 8. If you keep your eyes on the big picture, eventually your heart's going to be drawn back and your eyes are going to be drawn back, your spiritual eyes, to where we're going. It's called the consummation of the ages. It's called having relief from this battle. We started the series with a statement of Paul saying at the end of his life, the last, the last extant document we have from him, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he talked about fighting the good fight. He said, I fought the good fight. I, I, I ran the race. Right? I kept the faith. You need to continue to fight that fight knowing one day the fight's going to be over. There's something motivating about knowing that it's going to be over. You go out there and take hit on the field. You go do the thing. You may enjoy it. You may not enjoy it. You may feel like quitting. But all of this is going to consummate in the thing you're supposed to be praying for every single day. And that is that God's kingdom would come. We should be oriented on the fact that Christ is going to bring relief where there's going to be no crying, no mourning, no pain, no suffering. The tempter is going to be chained up. It's going to be over. Between here and there, it's a battle. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. And right now, you're going to have to focus on fighting the battle. You're going to continue to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with envy and lust and every other sin in your life. You're going to fight that. But here's the good news. It's temporal. It's only going to last for a little bit longer until we're done. You don't get to say when it's done, but when God says it's done, it's done and you go home. And it's over. That's motivating. It's motivating in this way. Verse 18. Look at it. I considered that the sufferings of this present time, which by the way, the Romans in the first century would not be having, the Roman Christians, a hard time of suffering were they not standing up for biblical truth. If they want to go along with Roman culture, if they want to go along with all that was going on in the marketplace, if they just want to go along with whatever the emperor said, whatever the Poles were saying in Rome in the first century, they would not be suffering. They were suffering because they were Christians standing with Christ. 
And if you stand with Christ and you fight sin, you're going to suffer. But all that suffering of the present time, not worth even comparing. It's going to be so dwarfed by the glory that is to be revealed to us. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What do you mean? The whole creation, the world, everything in the universe can't wait, right? It's personified here. Not that it's animate, but it's it's waiting. It's like poetically waiting for us to be in that place of being glorified where we're revealed as the completed glorified sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, right? It's a mess. My body's a mess. The world's a mess. Satan's a mess. Everything was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it. Put next to that, Genesis chapter 3. That's when he cursed the ground because of us. That's when he messed this world up on purpose because our hearts had chosen to mess up. But he did it all in hope. It wasn't forever. A lot of people complain about the sin in this world. Look at the shootings and look at the problems and look at the disease. Where's God and all this? God is finishing his redemptive work so he can bring in the kingdom and all this will be a distant memory. Ten trillion years from now, you're going to go, I, yeah, I guess I remember all of that. God keeps us remembering it by remembering the, the scars on the hands and the feet of the Lamb of God who reigns in the middle of this perfect kingdom. But yeah, you're right. It's hard for me to even remember the problems there on earth. All this is coming to a conclusion. All this is going to be consummated in good in hope, he subjected it that the creation itself is going to be set free from its bondage to corruption. And it's going to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's you and I when we're glorified. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Right? Again, it's personified poetically. It's like the world can't wait for us to graduate. Verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We can't wait till it's over. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit? There it is, Ezekiel 36. We groan inwardly. Hey, welcome to the battle, guys. You groaning? I get it. Keep fighting as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And the problem with our quest to do what God's spirit wants is our body. It's our flesh. But guess what? We're going to get it redeemed. The redemption of our bodies. Glorification. In this hope we were saved. Right? Now, hope that is seen, if you had it right here, right? it's not hope. If this was your best life now, it's certainly not Christianity. Right? For who hopes for what he sees? Christianity is about hope. It's about looking forward. It's not about this life. It's about the next. Verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, here's my prayer for you. We will wait for it with patience. Our theme has been envy. And I want to tell you this, point number three, you and I need to get motivated by envy's future absence, along with every other problem, along with Satan, along with demons, along with all of the ungodly, stubborn, rebellious people that have shined God on, all that's going to be gone. Christ is going to be ruling and reigning. The consummation of the ages is when the kingdom comes, the things you've been praying for, the hope and prayer of Maranatha in a Christian's heart that is renewed, that wants to see the blessed appearing of Christ, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That blessed hope, that thing that we're hoping for, it's going to happen, and envy is not going to be a problem. But right now, we fight our way through it. You're listening to Focal Point and the final message in a powerful series called Envy from Pastor Mike Fabares. I'm your host, Dave Drury, and today's message is titled Getting Serious About the Counterattack. If you missed any part of this series, I encourage you to go online right away and listen or share this message with a friend by going to focalpointradio.org. And when you're online, take a moment to explore the free resources available to you from Focal Point. Our site is packed with tools to elevate your personal Bible study, from the weekly devotional to Ask Pastor Mike archives. You'll find a wealth of solid biblical wisdom at your fingertips. 
and it's free. We don't hide our resources behind a paywall because Focal Point is entirely funded by people just like you who value the teaching on this program and want to share God's truth with as many people as possible. And this month, when you make a generous donation, we'll send you a copy of Pastor Mike's latest book titled Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. In his brand new book, Mike shares his findings about envy, and as you read, you'll learn how to recognize this sin and how you can gain a deeper capacity for selfless biblical love. So request your copy when you donate to Focal Point today. Again, call us at 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. And if you're not quite ready to give just yet, we'd still like to hear from you. This month, we have a free gift for listeners who contact Focal Point. It's a CD copy of Pastor Mike's message called Envy, A Private But Disruptive Sin. So contact us today at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for the start of our next series called Wisdom from Proverbs. That's coming up Wednesday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastormike or twitter.com slash pastormike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.